Well, as we jump into this uh, last Sunday of our blessed series, I just want to start by saying this is our last day of our prayer and fasting challenge or the prayer and fasting emphasis that we have in the month of January. But I want to say that it's important that this not be the end of your prayer and fasting. Just because we're wrapping up this series and this emphasis, I don't know about you, but in the past month, I have felt closer to God because of my time of prayer and my time of fasting and my time of getting away and just feeling God's presence in my life. And so I'm confident that if you've been tracking along with us and if you've spent every day in prayer and taken the opportunity and if you fasted something, then I am confident that God has been showing you things and that God has been present in your life. And so I just want to say, don't stop praying. Don't stop fasting. If God is working in your life, don't stop today, but keep going because we constantly need to be growing closer to God and becoming more like Christ. And so as we wrap up this series, just know it's not the end for us. We should continue on praying. This morning we're gonna we're close out the blessed series and, and first off I just want to say thank you to the prayer team and to the people that put together the booklets and all the work of planning this emphasis. Thank you guys very much. Can you guys thank them? So we'll start today with some quick recap. Um, a couple weeks ago I talked about the fact that our heart is the key to being who God calls us and creates us to be. Your heart is the key. We talked about the fact that the Beatitudes that we're studying are a snapshot of what a disciple of Christ should look like. So as Jesus is teaching his disciples and the people around them, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, he's showing them what their lives should look like if they're going to be a disciple of Christ. We talked about how blessedness, the blessed that we're talking about, is not just a future blessing, something we get in the future if we live this way, but that we get God's blessing right now as we experience God's presence and God's kingdom in our life. And then last week, we jumped into the first four Beatitudes. And and we talked about how we usually split the Beatitudes into um, two groups of four. And so there's the first four that are the inner Beatitudes. And those are all about tuning our heart to God. And so we started with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who come to God empty, who know that we can't do it on our own, we can't be who God created us to be without God's help, and we come to God empty, poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Then then we talked about blessed are those who mourn, those who not only realize that they can't do it on their own or that they're not good enough on their own and come to God empty, but it bothers them so much that they mourn about it and they want God to change them. They want God to change their heart. Then we talked about blessed are the meek. And if I could give you one phrase to talk about what it means to be meek, it's that it's not about you or me. Blessed are the meek who do the right things for the right reason because we understand that it's not about us, it's about God. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who who want so badly, and as we've moved through this prayer and fasting, maybe you've experienced a physical hunger or a physical thirst. One of the things I gave up is soft drinks, and I'm going to tell you, like every day, 
I've wanted soft drinks. I have thirsted for soft drinks. And that, I've felt that. And that's what we need to feel for God's righteousness. We need to hunger. We need to thirst for God's righteousness. And so we talked about how the first four Beatitudes, if you look at those, they're all about how we're empty, we don't have it, we need it, we want it, but we can't do it on our own. And we ended with this this phrase. When we tune our hearts to God, when we realize our inadequacy, when we mourn over it, when we meekly understand that it's not about us, and when we hunger Uh, for God to give us his righteousness, here was the good news last week, we will be filled. If our heart will look like those first four beatitudes and we come to God empty and we ask God and we hunger for God's righteousness, we will be filled. Which brings us to this week, to the last four beatitudes. And what the last four beatitudes are all about is what happens in our lives when we're filled with God's righteousness. So the first four are about our heart and where our heart needs to be and we need to be in the right place and then we're filled and now today we're gonna talk about the last four which is what our lives look like, what comes out of us when God fills us with his righteousness. Today's beatitude should be a good barometer for you of if your heart is in the right place. As we work through these four Beatitudes today, I want you to think about this for yourself and say, is this what my life looks like? Am I practicing these Beatitudes? Because if you're not, you probably need to go back and work on your heart. And I believe God will change us and these will flow out of us. And so let's jump in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Okay, now mercy is not something that we're good at. Mercy is not something that we, in our own power, in our own desire, typically want to do. When somebody wrongs us, when somebody hurts us, when somebody cuts us off in traffic or says something mean about us, our first response is not usually to be merciful and to say, oh, that's okay, I forgive you. Our first response is not mercy. So where does mercy come from? Well, the answer is it comes from the first four Beatitudes. When our hearts are tuned to God, when we realize that we don't have it on our own, when we realize that it's all from God anyway, we can be merciful. It's not about us. Going back to last week and meekness, it's not about us. And when we realize it's not about us, we can be merciful. We can see the bigger picture and trust that God will work even when people have hurt us. And so when it's not about me, I don't have to get mine. Or I don't have to get even. I don't have to give people what they deserve, but I can be merciful because I understand that God is bigger than me. And so blessed are the merciful. We have to cultivate a view of God and a view of ourselves that understands that everything we have comes from God. Our righteousness, our goodness, our life, everything comes from God. And when we can cultivate that and when we understand that, it frees us to be merciful. So so where does mercy come from? Well, mercy comes from understanding 
what's important and what's not important. I want to look at Matthew chapter 23, later on in the book of Matthew, verses 23 to 24. And this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And so what Jesus is saying to the disciples here is you get so caught up in the little things. You get so caught up in the rituals and being good in the little things that you miss the most important thing, and that's being merciful and loving others. He says you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. That's a ridiculous analogy. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And what Jesus is saying is mercy comes from understanding what's important and what's not as important. The great enemy of mercy is bondage to religious machinery. So let me explain that. Those are big words. I didn't come up with them. You know that. I'm not that smart. But the great enemy of mercy is bondage to religious machinery. It's when rules and rituals become more important than the mission that we have from God. And so the second thing that mercy comes from is when we see people the way that God sees people. When we see people the way that God sees people. See, part of the problem with the Pharisees is they were so wrapped up in being good and following the rules that when other people came around that weren't as good as them and didn't follow the rules, they wanted nothing to do with them. They wanted to shut the door on them. They didn't care about those people. They didn't want to be contaminated by those people. And what Jesus is saying is, those people are who matter. People matter. The greatest commandment we were given is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. What matters is loving God and loving the people around us. And when we get caught up in the little things, when we get caught up in the rituals and the rules and the little things, we might miss out on what really matters. We are merciful when we realize that the mission is more important than the motions. We are merciful when we realize that the mission is more important than the motions. And the mission is people. And so just hear me. I'm not saying that the motions, that rules, that rituals are bad. There's nothing wrong with coming to church. There's nothing wrong with giving tithes. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It's good to do all those things. But the mission is what matters, and that's loving God and loving the people around us. Think about a basketball game. The coach might have plays. The coach might have ideas that he wants to install in the team. Like when I was playing basketball, one of the things the coach would say is like, make sure we pass three or four times before we take a shot because we want to get in the habit of passing the ball around. But ultimately what matters is winning the game. The ritual, the plays, the rules are there to help us, to source us for the mission. And that's to love God and to love others and bring restoration. And we do that when we're merciful. Let me ask you today. Do you understand that the mission is more important 
than the little things, than the motions? Do you understand that God's greatest calling for your life is to love God with everything you have and to love the people around you at all costs, to love people and to be merciful? It's not just about being good in ourselves. Never sacrifice the mission for the motions. Let's move on to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Here's the thing. Like I said, rituals and motions and rules are not bad things. Those are good things. But guess what? It's not enough. What God really cares about is your heart. One of the coolest things I've heard from a preacher in the last year or so is I heard someone say, God cares more about who we're becoming than what we're doing. That's another way of saying what we do matters, but what's really important is who we are, who we're becoming, and God cares about our heart. Back to Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 26, it says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will be clean also. Okay, so maybe you guys have this problem. I have a dishwasher, and we use it at home, and dishwashers are great, right? But occasionally, I'll take the dishes out of the dishwasher, it all looks good, I put them away, and then a couple days later, I'll go in to grab a bowl to put something in it, and I'll look at the bowl, and the inside is filthy. Maybe it's ramen noodles or whatever we've made or caked to it or maybe whatever, if we had something chocolate and the chocolate's still in there, whatever it is, the past food is still in there and it's not clean on the inside. The outside looked good, but who wants to eat out of a bowl that's dirty? Who wants to drink out of a cup that's filthy on the inside? That's what matters. And what Jesus is saying is, don't clean the outside. Don't just look good from the outside. Clean the inside. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will be clean. What really matters to God is our hearts being purified and being clean. Here's the thing. Anybody can put on a good show. Anybody can walk around and make you think that they're good. In fact, Facebook is like the key to this. You can be just about anything you want on Facebook. You control what people see. Anybody can put on a good show, but God doesn't care about the show. God cares about your heart. The aim of Jesus is not just to reform the manners of society. The aim of Jesus is to change the hearts of sinners. What God really cares about is your heart. And so let's talk about what does it mean to have a pure heart? Well, if I ask you that, what does it mean to have a pure heart? I think most of us would probably think a pure heart has to do with what we do and what we don't do. A pure heart has to do with, with living by these guidelines and doing this, but staying away from this and this and this. And that's what we think about when we think of a pure heart. I think this is saying something different. I mean, that might be a part of it, but I think what, what the pure heart is talking about is a heart that's uncontaminated. A heart that has one purpose and one will. It's pure in its intentions. 
The opposite of a pure heart is something we see in the book of James, and it's something James goes back to over and over again, and it's this idea of being double-minded. And so look at the difference between a pure heart, single-minded, single-focus, purely after one thing, and double-minded. That's a heart that's split. And so let me give you a good example of this. I want to lose weight. I want to feel good. I want to be in better shape. But I really like Buffalo Wild Wings. And I really like Cherry Coke. And I really like chips. And I really like food. I want, my heart wants, to be healthy. I want to feel good. But man, my heart really wants Montgomery and ribs and wings. That's double-minded. And guess what the result of double-mindedness is? You're looking at it. It's not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be. I'm split. I'm not pure in my commitment and my heart's desires for that. That's what purity is. Think about a cup of water. Would you rather drink a cup of water out of a, uh, out of a filtered refrigerator? I mean, my water at home is amazing. It's cold. I mean, it comes out of my refrigerator, and it's cold, and it tastes perfect, just what water should taste like. But imagine if I had a cup of my water from my house, and you're welcome to come over this week and try water at my house. I promise it's good. Or what if I took a cup of water out of the Ohio, Ohio River, and I put two in front of you? Which one do you want? You want the pure one. Pure is uncontaminated. It's what it's supposed to be. And our heart is pure when we have one focus and one mission and one goal and one desire, not double-minded, not a lot of desires. The aim of a pure heart is to align itself with God. The aim of a pure heart, the pure heart that Jesus is talking about right here, the aim of a pure heart is to align itself with God. It, a pure heart wants more than anything else to honor God and to live for God. The aim of a pure heart is to align itself with God. The problem is, too often, we're double-minded. Too often, we want to be like Jesus, we want to live for God, but we really want to be popular. We want people to like us. We want to be successful. We want to be rich. We want money. And the problem is those don't go together because when you're double-minded, you settle for a compromise and you miss out on God. You miss out on what God has for us. We can't be double-minded in the church. I think one of the things we struggle with the most is we want to be like Christ, but we want control. We want things the way that I want them. I want church. I want, I want God to look the way that I want God to look. And I'm not willing to give complete control to God. That's double-minded. Here's the thing, and this is what the Beatitude says. When we abandon all else, when we get rid of this double-mindedness, when we get rid of all those things that distract us and we become pure in heart, we will see God. That's huge. We will see God. We will experience God. We will have God's greatest. And so this reminds me of my favorite basketball player, Shaquille O'Neal. How many of you know Shaquille O'Neal? All right, one of the reasons I like Shaq is because he always had fun. He was always goofing around. But I can be honest with myself and say as great as Shaq was, 
He was limited for a couple reasons. He missed out on being even greater for a couple reasons. Number one, he couldn't shoot free throws. He just could not shoot free throws. And if he would have focused on his career and focused on the things he needed to focus on and learned how to shoot free throws, he would have had like 3,000 more points in his career. He probably would have had a couple more championships. He would have been unstoppable. But he was kind of double-minded because Shaq couldn't shoot free throws because he also loved acting and he also loved rapping and he also loved all the stuff outside of basketball and so it wasn't that Shaq was pure in his focus of I'm going to be the best that I can it was that Shaq wanted to be great but he wanted to be popular and he wanted to be have people around him and he wanted to have fun and so he settled for something less than he could have had he could have been this is my opinion the greatest or most dominant player to ever play the game of basketball, but he settled because he was double-minded. Listen, if we're not pure in heart, if we don't focus everything we have on God, if we get distracted by other things, we will settle for less than God's best. God wants you to experience his best. And so don't settle for less than that. Don't get distracted. Stay pure in heart. Is your heart's desire purely to worship God? Is your heart's desire purely to be more like Christ? Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Here's the thing. As we align our hearts, as God transforms our hearts and tunes our hearts, we become more like Christ. And blessed are the peacemakers. So the more we become like Christ, the more God changes us, the more God changes our nature, the more we seek peace and the more we look like Christ. So last week, I think it was last week, I talked about uh, my son Sam. And I talked about how we call him sweet and sour. And that's kind of his nickname. But here's another thing about Sam. I cannot deny that that kid is my son because he looks just like me and acts just like me. <laughs> Sorry. Sam is just like me, and I hear that all the time when people see him. They say, that's definitely your son. He looks just like you. Out of all four boys, Sam is the one that looks like me the most, and I cannot deny that that kid is mine. Let me ask you something. When people see you, do they see the nature of Christ? Do you look so much like Christ? Has your heart been transformed to look so much like Christ that people say that is a child of God? That is somebody who is a child of God. I can't deny Sam, and honestly, church, we cannot, we can't be mistaken on this. We have to be people of peace. We have to be people of a pure heart. And people around us should say, that's a child of God. I can tell because they look just like Christ. And so what is a peacemaker? Number one, a peacemaker is somebody that loves people. Somebody that loves people. And some of you are sitting there and say, yeah, I love people. I love some people. I mean, like, you're good, you're good, you're good. I'm, not point I'm pointing up because I don't want you to think I'm talking about you're good, but you not so much. We're good at loving some people, but people that are peacemakers love all people. 
That means your friends. That means people that hurt you. That means people that would be called your enemies. It's not about loving the people that are nice to us. Being a peacemaker is about loving everybody. The second part of peacemaking is that peacemaking is about building bridges to people. It's about actively pursuing peace with other people. And so here's the thing. Sometimes what happens in our lives is, is something will happen. Someone will say something bad about us. Someone will do something that hurts us. And, and we start to think that peacemaking is staying away from them. So maybe you're walking through the hallway at work and so-and-so said something mean about you. Or maybe you're walking through the hallway at church and you had a run-in with someone and you're walking down that hallway and you see that person and your first reaction is to walk this way. To turn away because you don't want to fight. You don't want to deal with it. But a peacemaker builds bridges. A peacemaker actively seeks peace. Peace is not just avoiding the people that you don't like or have issues with. Peace is reaching out and trying to make a difference. And here's the thing, the foundation of peacemaking is purity. When all we want is God's will, when all we want is to worship God with everything we have, we have the freedom to make peace with people that are at odds with us. We have to humble ourselves we have to do our part to actively pursue peacemaking. Let me just get really real with you today. I don't know about you, but sometimes people do things that are hurtful. I've been through this in the church way too many times where I've seen people hurt other people and I've seen it get to the point where people can't be in the same room with each other because they don't want anything to do with each other, yet they both call themselves children of God. We have to be peacemakers. I don't know if somebody's hurt you. I don't know if you're in a place where you're at odds with somebody else, but today I just want to get really real with you. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you have to build bridges to the people in your life that you're at odds with. You have to actively seek peace. We cannot call ourselves children of God if we don't want to be at peace and want to bring peace in the relationships around us. And so just really seriously, I ask you, if there's someone in your life that you're at odds with, if you're going to be pure of heart and you're going to be a person of mercy and you're going to be like Christ, then you need to go to them and you need to build bridges and make peace. A peacemaker actively searches out peace. And so let me ask you, is that where your heart is today? Are you a peacemaker? Are you somebody that wants to build bridges to the people around you? So that brings us to a question, because this is, this is a real question. What happens when we're merciful? What happens when we're pure in heart? What happens when we're a peacemaker and we actively seek peace, but people don't accept it? What happens when we can't fix the problem? And that brings us to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets 
who are before you. And so the last beatitude we see is this. Even when you get your heart right, even when you're merciful, even when you're pure in heart, even when you seek peace with everything you have, sometimes it's not going to work out the way that you want it to. Sometimes you will be persecuted. Now listen, we don't understand this to the level that some other people do in this world. There are people around the globe that are dying for their righteousness. There are people that are persecuted that don't have rights. I lost you. There we go. Because of their righteousness, because they live for Christ. There are people in our creative access areas that because they worship God and because they want to be righteous, they're persecuted. I don't even think we understand the fullness of that, but honestly, it's real for us. We may not lose our lives here in America because of righteousness, We may not lose our rights because of righteousness, but we can lose some things because of it. We can be at odds with others because of living for Christ. Here's the thing, when you live for righteousness, when you live everything you have for God, and somebody else doesn't, you're at completely different places. And a lot of times that ends in chaos. And maybe you've experienced persecution of some sort whether it's big or whether it's small. Maybe in your life, you've tried to do the right things, you've tried to live for God, and you've experienced loss because of it. Well, this says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 12, it says, rejoice and be glad when people are trying to hurt you. Rejoice and be glad when people are trying to hurt you. How can we rejoice when people are trying to hurt us? How can we be glad when people are saying terrible things about us? Because great is your reward in heaven. Here's the thing, when our heart is completely pure and when everything that we want is to honor God and to worship God and to see God, we can take a beating, we can take abuse, we can take someone saying something bad about us because great is your reward in heaven. Because you have the kingdom of God, and if you have a pure heart and all you want is God, you still have it. What does it matter what happens around you? And so you may be thinking of these last four Beatitudes, and you may be sitting there thinking, I don't know, that's kind of tough. I don't know if I'm there. I don't know if I want to be there. I don't know if I want to be persecuted. I don't know if I, I want to make, build bridges between other people, but all I can say to you today is this. The kingdom, the blessings that God has for you are far greater than your own ways. The blessings that God has for you in the Beatitudes are far greater than anything you can ever do on your own. And so as we've looked at these, God wants us to be transformed and God wants us to live these things out. Let me ask you those four questions again and I want you to think about this really seriously today And I want you to pray about this, and then we're going to close with communion. But here are the four questions. Are you merciful? Do you understand what's important and you love others more than you love looking good or or the rituals? Are you merciful? Are you pure in heart? Is your one desire, your only desire to worship God and to be like God and to give glory to God with everything that you have? Are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? Are you actively seeking to bring peace to the relationships and the people around you.
Are you a peacemaker? Do you, do you look like a child of God? And then number four, are you willing to face persecution? Are you willing to face difficulty because of who you are and what God's transforming you to be? And are you willing to rejoice when you experience that? The band is going to come and we're going to have the ushers come forward and we're going to close this service by taking communion. And I just want to say that as these are passed out, I want you to hold them as we sing this last song. Uh, But I think this is the perfect way to close out our Beatitudes series. Today in communion, we are going to respond to the Beatitudes. We're going to respond to the message that we've heard. And so as the ushers come forward, go ahead and come forward. We're going to take communion together, and I want you to hold the elements, and then at the end, we're going to talk about something that's really important in this whole thing. So ushers, come. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that as we sing this song that you'll be working in our hearts. I pray that as we talked about last week, what what a pure heart and what a heart that desires you looks like, that you would transform our hearts. And Lord, I pray very seriously that you would change us to be people that live out your righteousness that when the world around us sees us, they can't help but see you. And so as we sing together, Lord, I pray that we would prepare our hearts to experience you, and I pray that you would move in our hearts in thy name. Amen.